this is Rachel. Welcome to Recovery Daily. And today I want to talk about mastering fear and anxiety. Um, but before I do that, I wanted to um, just express how grateful I am to the people who are listening to this. I also am really excited to say that I have just uh, gotten in touch with another stroke survivor and we've been able to exchange some experiences with each other today and um and i'm really grateful for that as well so um so with regard to mastering fear and anxiety i was thinking today about um how much of an absolute freaking hurricane of emotion I always used to be. And um, I never imagined in my wildest dreams that I would be able to do the things that I can do today without feeling like I was going to have a panic attack. And, um, some of the symptoms that I had over the years, now much of this is, is when I was drinking because a lot of my fear and anxiety, I believe came, uh, was sitting there because the medication that I was taking wasn't working. And my doctor tried to put me on all different types of anxiety medication and none of them seemed to work. Um, I did finally start taking citalopram, which uh, is like Lexapro. They're all kind of similar, I think. Um, but that one, and then we increased it a bit. And then I started feeling like, uh, like maybe I was feeling like I should be feeling, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but I didn't know what it felt like to be normal, to not have underlying anxiety, but it brought me to the point where I could function. And I did not know that the reason why the medication wasn't working for me um, optimally is because I was drinking and it says not to take that stuff and drink, but who reads the bottles, who listens to the bottles, who follows directions. Um, so anyway, it wasn't working for me. And so, uh, some of the symptoms I had, uh, or the effects of my extreme anxiety were panic attacks, um, I had ocular migraines, so when I would get under a lot of stress, my vision would start to, like, pixelate. It, you know what it reminds me of is uh, when we were back in the olden days where we had TVs and we just had, like, cable or even not cable, and you would turn the station to a channel that... Um, the station wasn't coming in and it was all like pixels. It was 
that's what my vision would start to do. And it would start in one tiny little spot, like over on the left-hand side. And it almost seemed like it was like floating around because I would move around and it would move my eyes around and it would move around. And then it would just, within 10 minutes, it would take over my whole vision so that I couldn't see. If I was holding my hand in front of me, I couldn't see my hand. Um, it was terrifying. Um, and there was a couple times it happened when I was driving and that was terrifying, but somehow I lived through it. Um, and then I learned that it was called an ocular migraine and it didn't hurt my head until my vision came back. If I didn't take any Advil or anything, my vision came back and then my head would start pounding. So, um, I thought it was cause I wasn't drinking enough water, which it could very well be. I was drinking so much alcohol that I was probably dehydrated and, um, but it definitely happened when I would be under extreme stress. That was my self-diagnosis. But one of the more critical issues I had due to anxiety was um, anorexia. And I, I just looked up, because I've always just said, yeah, I was anorexic because I just... Uh, understood it as that but I, I actually looked it up uh, right before this episode and um, it definitely fell as under uh, anorexia I did not try to make myself throw up or anything like that I um, I just I was depressed and I was anxious and when I'm anxious I can't eat still to this day I can't eat when I'm anxious and when I'm depressed I also can't eat and um, so, but there was also this sense of not feeling like I deserved to feel good. So this is some of that self-talk, that narrative that I was telling myself that I didn't deserve to feel better. Um, and I don't know where that came from. I, I don't know. You know, a chemical imbalance, that's that's where I think it comes from. It's not like somebody was, you know, abusive to me or anything like that. I just didn't think that I was deserving of a happy life. And so when I was hungry, I wouldn't have told somebody that I was hungry. I would tell you that I'm not hungry. And so the the hunger pains and that that empty feeling in my stomach was comforting to me it was it the empty feeling in my stomach was very much similar reminiscent of the empty feeling in my heart and so I felt like I my outside shell was just caving in on itself. And so that dark place that I talk about, I just, it was an empty dark face. Why would I place? Why would I put food in there? You know, it was just 
oh, I was just so toxic to myself. And, um, and so I was probably, I think at my lowest weight, I was 119 pounds and I was five foot seven. So, um, you know, I could like see my heart beating in my, like in my ribs, right? It was not pretty. And um, my face was like caved in and stuff. And I know the color in my face was gone and everything. It was just, it wasn't good. And it, it all had to do with fear and anxiety. That's, that's what I remember feeling during those times of my life. And that lasted a really long time. I remember um, working and all I ate all day was an apple and a piece of bread. And then before I went to bed at like three in the morning after I had been getting hammered all night was a frozen pizza. I would like binge the frozen pizza, but I wouldn't throw up or anything. So I did get that. It wasn't nutritious, you know, so just imagine how just malnutritioned I was. And so my fingernails were brittle. My hair was like really thin. Um, you know, today I have long, luxurious hair. <laughs> um, and anyway, uh, this, yeah, the color of my skin, all that stuff. And, and I went to therapy and there was no amount of therapy that was going to penetrate that anxiety. Um, I didn't exercise. I didn't drink water. Um, I didn't have any sort of program for life. I didn't reach out to anybody. I didn't ask for help. You know, I went to these therapists because I thought, because I wanted to fix what was wrong with my marriage, or I wanted to not fix what was wrong with my marriage, and I wanted to get out. Whatever it was, um, I was never addressing the the real problem, and that was my drinking. That was my um, my mental health. And um, wow, <laughs> you know, sometimes you you can think things over and over again. And then all of a sudden you'll have a, an epiphany that um, just the way that you, that I just worded it kind of was, uh, was a little bit of an epiphany for me, but um, all of this lack of taking care of myself just exacerbated the issue, my anxiety. Um, by not exercising, I had no uh, outlet for ener my energy. And I really, really have come to believe that anxiety is pent up energy. And for me, the way I envision it is when I get anxious, I don't really have this feeling much anymore. But when I was drinking, um, when I would start getting anxious, it was like energy that was like building up inside of me and it would get so uh, 
um, condensed and growing so much inside of me that it just started to make my body shake. You know what I mean? It's like I can envision it almost filling me up, almost like you could see it just filling me up and just causing my body to start shaking. I felt like I was going to explode. And there was nothing I could do about it. I could cry or I could drink alcohol. And alcohol is what made it settle down. But once I started sobering up, it would bubble back up again and I would start shaking. As a matter of fact, um, my family, uh, my dad, my brother and I have familial tremor syndrome is what we um, self-diagnosed. And uh, when I was drinking, I thought that I had the worst of it. But what I actually had was withdrawal going on. And I don't really have it. And what it feels like is it feels like your nerves are jumping underneath your skin. So if you, uh, if I were to hold my hand out in front of you, you wouldn't be able to necessarily see it shaking, but I can feel the nerves underneath my skin jumping, um, which is really a a wacky feeling. But um, my brother says that he still feels that. I don't know if my dad does. I'll have to ask him about that. But um, to add alcohol withdrawal to that syndrome is, uh, I couldn't hold a cup of coffee. Like we would go to uh, a wedding. I remember one time going to a wedding with my boyfriend and he had to carry my after dinner coffee for me because I would have just spilled it on myself. Um, So this idea about everything being energy is something that I've really started to hone in on in my sobriety. So I talked about what anxiety feels like as far as the energy piece of it. And then depression for me feels like this heavy weight. It feels like I'm 400 pounds of concrete that I have to just drudge through life. That's the energy. It's like, it's just so heavy. And then I think about like, you know, I've talked to my boyfriend about, he actually said to me how we, we tend to hang around people that have the same energy as us. And sometimes we find ourselves hanging around people that have the energy 
that we have, but we want to get rid of that energy. We want to, um, for example, I was drinking and I was only hanging out with people that were drinking, obviously. And when I got sober, I had to surround myself with a different energy. I had to surround myself with people that were looking, seeking joy and seeking a better life. Um, and I think about like, I'm uh, empty nesting. Is it still, I guess it's still called that, even though like, so my daughter just graduated from college and my son graduated four years ago and has been out of the house, but now she's getting ready to uh, start real life. And um, it's, it's hard to not have their energy around me. I spent 20 years of my life having their energy around me. And my daughter's energy is like, uh, well, the best way I can say is I would tell her, you need to just go run around the house 10 times <laughs> and then come back in. That's her energy. My son for me is this calming energy. I, how would I compare that? It's like, honestly, it's like the room I'm sitting in right now which I've got a candle lit, I've got my salt lamp on, and that's the type of energy that I feel when I'm around him. And I'm really grateful to have these two dogs, which were barking in the first episode. I have a Weimaraner and a Bulldog. And so talking of energy, you've got one, almost like my kids, you've got one, that is very calm and you tell them to do something and it takes uh oh 10 minutes or so for him to be like oh you talking to me lady that's the bulldog and then uh autumn the weimaraner is more like uh where are we going where are we going what are we doing what are we doing come here come on let's go let's go let's go where are you going and um and so these two energies i love it i honestly i just love it. it drives me crazy sometimes but um i need a little crazy in my life especially with the with the kids away so um i i'm i was thinking about this today um for several reasons and one is that i lost a bunch of weight so over the past six months, I think I've lost about 15 pounds. And I think typically when I talk to somebody about the fact that I've lost weight, um, it's like, oh, how do you do it? How do you do that? Oh, you look so good. And it's, and that's, I appreciate it. And it's not that I don't like not, I don't like it's not that I don't like losing weight. I like when I, you know, get to be slender and stuff. 
the problem is I know what I feel like on the inside. And on the inside, I am not eating when I'm hungry. And when I'm not eating my daily ice cream cone before bed, we've got a major issue. <laughs> and that's what's been happening. Ever since I stopped drinking, I have a Breyers vanilla ice cream cone on a cake cone every night before bed. And we joke about it because it's like, it's like a, the size of the cone. I get a jumbo cone and the size of the cone is like one that you would in a cartoon where they're like, they're like walking and the cone is like 10 feet tall and you go and, you know, you walk to the left and the, and the top of the ice cream cone is like, takes a minute to follow, <laughs> follow over to the left. That's how big my ice cream cone is. But I love it. And that's um, one of the things that I let myself have now that I've had to give up drinking and smoking. And side note, one of my favorite candies is Skittles. And my boyfriend just told me that there's something toxic in Skittles, ye yellow number five, and that it might be banned in the United States. And I had, I was sitting there with a bag of Skittles today. <laughs> So I threw them away. I don't know why. It's not like I didn't drink alcohol for, you know, my whole entire life, adding that toxin to my body, but whatever. Now I can't eat Skittles either. So um, <laughs> anyway, I stray. I stray. So um, the way that I try to tackle this fear and anxiety, number one, I stopped picking up a drink. And that helped my medication work. So since that is not the case today, um, and I still lost weight, it's not that I am, uh, you know, picking up a drink or anything, but it's important to note that if I were to pick up a drink, things would not get any better. <laughs> That I know. If I if I know anything, it's that this problem will not be resolved if I pick up a drink or a drug. So that is out of the question. Um, one of the things that I learned in sobriety was prayer. And I've talked a little bit about my higher power and how it is... Um, a combination of, of lots of different um, things, including people that have passed in my life, uh, my kids, my uh, recovery program. And then there's people in my life that, that are part of it, that, that I talk to almost every day and stuff, you know, like my boyfriend and um, some of my coworkers and stuff like that. And, um, and so, but one, but the other one is, is my conception of God. So I'm not going to talk a lot about that because, um, it's mine and it's, it, there's, I'm sharing a lot in this podcast, but one thing that I don't really feel terribly comfortable about sharing is my conception of God and what I've put together for myself 
because it's not like anybody else's. And I'm allowed to do that in this recovery program that I'm in. But what I can say is that when I first got sober, um, I was just acting as if there was someone to pray to. And so um, I learned over the years of acting as if um, it started to become, I, I started to build a relationship with uh, this concept that I've created. And one thing that I've started to do, so before I go to bed, I get down on my knees beside my bed. And this is something that I do because it's almost like that God box. I want to be smaller what do you do if you see a bear? Oh no, you're supposed to get bigger. Okay, bad example, <laughs> bad example. Anyway, I get smaller to try to convey that I am not God. What's most important is that I am not God, that something else is it. I have no control over people, places, and things. So I get down on my knees and I say, thank you for my sobriety. I say, thank you for um, not smoking because I've added smoking to my program. And I say, thy will be done, not mine. And what I've learned from this, what I've started picturing in my head is number one, when I say thank you for my sobriety, I picture one thing in my head that I did when I was drunk that was shameful or embarrassing or I wish never happened or, you know, that kind of thing. Or I picture one thing that I am now doing because I'm sober. So one or, one, or the, one or the other is what I picture. And then when I say thank you for not smoking, I um, take a deep breath because I love to take a deep breath now that I'm not smoking. I smoked for a really, really long time since high school. And, um, so I just absolutely love taking a deep breath. And so that's what I do. And then I say, thy will be done, not mine. And here's the thing about that. I learned, uh, somebody told me once that when you have a problem, before you go to bed, put it on your nightstand. Don't don't keep it in your head and lay on your pillow with it. Put it on, put your problem on your nightstand and go to bed. And then when you get up, your problem will still be sitting there on the nightstand. There's no reason to take it to bed with you. There's no reason to keep it inside your head, make you, you know, not be able to fall asleep and all that stuff. So, uh, so that's what I, I love that. I love that. So I picture me putting my problems on my nightstand before I go to bed. And I just love that. Um, another thing that 
that it's made me think of when I say thy will be done, not mine is I think of being on a bus and I think of somebody else driving the bus. In this case, it's my concept of my higher power, uh, whatever that may be. And I imagine there's all these other people on the bus and, um, and this, this entity is driving the bus. And I get to choose what stops I'm going to get off on and I'm going to take action and what stops that I stay on the bus and let everybody else get off and do whatever the hell they are going to do. So I'm choosing what to get involved in and what not to get involved in. And I don't have any control. I don't have any control of where the bus is going. You know, I know when to make decisions. And I've learned, and I mentioned this previously, I've learned that to trust myself, that I'm fully equipped to make those decisions when the time comes. I don't have to what if them. I ride on the bus. And I choose when to get off and I take action. And I don't feel so much anymore because I practice all of these things. I, I feel like I have all of these tools and these different ideas that I've been putting together over the years uh, that I've been sober that fear doesn't roll my life anymore. When I'm afraid of something now, I lean into it instead of pulling the sheets back over my head, which is what I used to do. I literally pulled the sheets back over my head and had my glass of wine under the sheets and wished that the world would go away. I did not want to be in the world. I just wanted to be alone. And that is just, that's really sad because there's so much joy that the world can give me. There's so much joy that other people give me. I still have a habit of isolating myself. I like to be alone. I think my mom taught me how important it is to be best friends with yourself and and I am. I enjoy myself. I'm really enjoying doing this podcast. So um, I'm learning a lot from myself. So um, anyway, I think that I have found that much of my fear and anxiety has been and still is when I have to interact with somebody else, whether that's presenting or whether I'm in an argument or with somebody or something like that, like having to navigate a relationship or be brave and, um, and talk in front of a, you know, a group of people or something like that. That's where a lot of my fear and anxiety comes from. But now when I feel fear and anxiety coming in, I tackle whatever it is that's causing it faster. 
so that I don't have to have that feeling last for very long. So uh, leaning in and, um, and I think leaning in to these fears is teaching me how to be a better human being. <clears throat> as much as this podcast is selfish, um, I'm hoping that it helps someone else. Um, I have been kind of uncomfortable <laughs> sharing all of my thoughts um, with whoever, you know, on the internet. That's, um, that's a big deal for anybody to do. But I think that the value that I'm getting from this, the benefit that I'm getting from this selfishly is just, it's worth me leaning into that fear. It just is. And um, guess what? I found somebody who had a stroke just like me. Um, and I got to talk to her today. And although her symptoms are not the same as me, some of the challenges that, that she has faced in life are exactly like what I'm facing. And that is why I'm sitting here. That's why I am being, I am willing to share my experience, strength, and hope so that I can find people like me so that we can share with each other and, um, and grow and be better humans because I have a long way to go. This is only half my life I've lived so far. And I'm determined to make the second half of my life go a hell of a lot better than the first half. So um, with that, that's all I have. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you tomorrow.